Thanks for tuning in to the Hey Shantae podcast, the podcast where I do not like small talk. Nobody cares what your middle name is. No one really cares what your favorite color is. I want to talk about your passions and your fears and problems that you overcome. I want to talk about emotions and intelligence and things like that. And you're probably wondering why. Because I'm nosy. So let's go. Happy New Year, guys. It's a new episode of the Hey Shantae podcast. Today, I have in the studio a dear friend of mine, Drew Doggett. Did I say that right? <laughs> Doggett. Doggett? There we go. Doggett. <laughs> um, so that's the voice you're hearing right now. And today, we're going to be talking about something a little different today. We're going to talk about fatherhood and music, um, which I thought was really interesting to um, bring to my podcast because... Fatherhood is very much a passion, and I feel like you don't hear the father side of parenting very often. It's always the woman's voice. But today, Drew, you're a daddy, and I you have a beautiful two-year-old. Yes, and yes. And we don't have to say her name to just to keep her privacy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so go ahead and say hi and introduce yourself. And yes, yeah, so my name is Drew, and yes, I have a daughter. She's two years old, and I love being a daddy. So let's go ahead and just dive right in um, with this question. What expectations did you have for yourself before you became a father? Growing up in a two-parent household, I think that I had this idea of having a family in a more traditional sense, right? So Mm -hmm. like for my parents, they, my parents were actually high school sweethearts. So they've been together since so forever, cute. right? Yeah. And so we've and there's six of us total. So my parents, and then I have three sisters. So there's four kids, right? So just kind of being used to the, I guess you can call it the the Cosby family, right? Yeah. Having that dynamic of two parents, having the kids, and just kind of living living every day like the Cosbys, kind of. Yeah. So when I found out that I was going to be a dad, I kind of held on to that. Like, hey, I want to, you know, get married and, you know, have more kids and just kind of keep it traditional because that's kind of what I'm used to. (laughs) I forgot to mute. (laughs) While we're at that, let me out. (laughs) I'm usually more professional than this. Sorry, guys. Let me do not disturb my technology as well. Okay, sorry. So you said that you grew up pretty much in the the Black American dream as like having a Cosby family, and so now you you yourself not so much. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the expectation I had for myself. I wanted to kind of create that dynamic, but the cool thing about life is that you know when things don't necessarily go the way that you expect them to, mm-hmm. you, there's always a way to kind of. You know, find that the silver lining or to, you know, take the lemons that you have in life and make lemonade. Mm-hmm. And and at the end of the day, really, I just want, you know, my daughter and my future kids, because I want more. Yeah. To be able to say, you know, my parents are amazing and I had a great life and a great upbringing. Uh, no matter if it's, uh, you know, two-parent household, blended family, co-parenting situation, whatever my kids grow up, uh, the environment they're growing up in, I want them to be able to say, yeah, 
my parents did the best that they could for me and Mm -hmm. I want them to be like proud of that basically yeah yeah because you can say that about your parents I can say that about my parents now I mean they've had their struggles but the totality of everything and how we all came out like Mm -hmm. you can't help but applaud them so I want the same thing do you do you and your mom and dad just the three of you have like a good relationship, like a pretty open communication. Oh yeah, I talk to my folks every day. Yeah, uh, we try to FaceTime as much as we can. They still live in Chicago. I'm out here in LA, and so and of course they want to see the baby, right? Mm-hmm. That's the real reason why they FaceTime me. But uh, yeah, it's great. We 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 talk a lot, and I think the great thing for me growing up was, you know, and you know, I hate to say. I hate to make it seem like the way I grew up was so different. Like, you know, black families just can't have a two-parent household. Yeah, I mean, I feel, in my experience, it's rare. I didn't have that. But it is it is rare. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, there's a lot of families that are together. But I think in a black community, you don't see it so much. And the older I got, the more I realized that it wasn't so common, that what I had was different. Mm-hmm. And so what I loved about it was having that perspective, you know, the the... The caring and nurturing and soft, uh, you know, side from my mom, and then the more, you know, authoritative and the more, uh, you know, masculine energy from my dad, yeah. and having both of them for certain situations, it really allows you to have full perspective as far as navigating through life. Yeah. So I think that's uh, something unique, and I, you know, I carry it with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I definitely do think there's a difference from people who do come from a two-parent household to have the both of the parents to go to versus just the one person to go to or a grandparent who is a different generation altogether from like a younger child to go to and the I wouldn't say the difference in how they grow up is completely different but just you can tell a little bit but it's kind of sad but since you guys did have a good relationship what was that conversation of you being like, hey, mom and dad, you're going to be a, a grandparent for me since, um, you, since was, you weren't married like they were? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, so that conversation. Was that hard for you to even it, like muster up the courage to go talk to him? It was. It was. I actually talked to my older sister about it first, maybe like a good week before I told my folks mm-hmm. for more than one reason uh for one my sister lives out here so getting that immediate support and love right. and everything is going to be okay like I could get that instantaneously from her she lives out here my parents you know they live back in Chicago so I felt like I needed a little bit more time to kind of you know prep myself to have that conversation but really it was just kind of me feeling like not that my parents would judge me, but that expectation, you didn't want to right? Be like, hey, mom and dad, I didn't break that stereotype, <laughs> right? Right, yeah, I did feel that way. Did, was it embarrassing a little bit? I wouldn't say it was embarrassing. I would say that I wanted my I wanted my parents to be proud of me, and I feel like the way things kind of happened since. The baby wasn't planned necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the part that I was a little worried about. But my parents, they, my parents are really liberal. They're real cool and they're very understanding. Yeah. And they knew that <clears throat> I would be a great parent. 
and so it was nothing but love when I when I yeah. told them. So. Well, I feel like they know they raised you. Mm-hmm. They know you. They know who you are, and they know what to expect from you. Although you know, children do their own things, but parents still kind of have like. I know you're going to do the right thing. And right. so hopefully, I wasn't there, and I never met your parents, but hopefully they, they didn't hurt when they heard that conversation. Did you feel like they were hurting? I feel like they knew how much it meant to me, and they felt my pain. Because I wanted, you know. What the, they have. The quote-unquote perfect situation. I think we all kind of go into relationships wanting that. Yeah. And, you know, you know, throughout life, we, we, we try to, you know, do the best we can. And I think their reassurance that, you know, everything will be all good. Um, you know, we raised you, we support you. You know, that definitely helped. But I, I never felt like they would be disappointed. I just, I think for them, they wanted to make sure that I was good. Yeah. Because they were probably more worried about how I would feel about me than how I would feel about them judging me, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. how you res- like didn't lose respect for yourself and how you still right. really carry yourself on. So how did you feel about yourself when you found out? I'm the kind of person, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but I would say I'm my biggest critic. Mm-hmm. And I felt I felt as though for for probably the first time in my life, I completely didn't have control over something. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, when a baby's on the way, it's on the way. And you literally don't know when it's coming. There's a prediction, <laughs> but you don't know if that's for sure. Right, right. Like, you can't, uh, un, un, well, you can undo it. You can in some states. <laughs> right. You can in undo some alleys. Right. <laughs> for, for a price. <laughs> 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 for two ninety nine ninety nine, you can um, you can forget everything ever happened. But it, it it was it was a situation in which I felt like things were out of out of my control. Yeah, I couldn't stop it from happening. Obviously, I was a part of it happening, but I I, I just felt like you know I I needed to find uh, space within myself for for forgiveness of, of me not setting myself up for the future that I envisioned. Mm-hmm. And I really I really took it out on myself, I feel, during that time. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, you know, I had the, the you know, the love and support from my family. Yes. That really, you know, let me know that everything was going to be okay. And I think a lot of new parents kind of go through that. Even if, you know, even if it's planned, even if it's, you know, your yeah. wife, your husband, I think creating life, which is probably the most godly thing that we can do mm-hmm. as humans, I think it's it can be a little nerve wracking and it can be I think everyone at some point can get cold feet about the process. And it is a long process, mm-hmm. it's you know, nine months. You've gotta cook. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, ambiguity, uncertainty. You want, you know, the baby to be healthy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of emotions and hormones and from both, right? Not yeah. just the woman, the man yeah, too. Men go through it just as yes. much as I mean, well, not just as much. <laughs> obviously, sorry, sorry, pregnant ladies and mommies, but they do go through it because you just don't hear about it. You don't hear about it. You don't hear about it. But it's true. Like when a woman is pregnant, the man is 
pregnant too Mm -hmm. because you're going through it together. So obviously the physical part is happening to the woman, but you know, it's the man's job to emotionally be there. Yeah. For 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 the woman that's pregnant. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I was definitely uh pregnant for a good. For a good. <laughs> I don't know if you should word it that way. Um, but I get what you're trying to say. <laughs> so, um can you so your mindset throughout that whole 9 months, did you see it deteriorate at all like nine months like we said was is a long ass time and through those nine months you grow and you fall and you get back up and then you fall again because literally like cooking a baby you can't do it it happens it's (laughs) cooking in there by itself like you literally can't decide what genes it gets what health it gets you can't do any of that so what was your mindset alone like not like worrying about the baby mother but you yourself like how did you take care of yourself within those nine months I think work really helped me. Work was my escape yeah. from the reality of dealing with I what what with what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. So work was kind of like, hey, I can you know go to work, I can smile, I can be happy. Yeah, because I work with you, and I had no idea. Yeah, I kept it on the wraps pretty well. It was one of those situations where I felt that. I needed to get, keep that part of my life private mm-hmm. so I can handle it my way. And I think looking back on it, I, I would have liked to kind of be been more public about it. But, you know, because of my situation, my personal situation, I waited a little bit before I, you know, shared it with, with mm-hmm. the world. So I think that's um, something that needed to be done. Yeah. Well, you're like a private person anyway. You don't really go around saying like oh whoa this is me I saw this happened to me today everybody look at me so whenever I did find out which was like when the baby was here <laughs> I was eating my ramen noodles and I literally dropped my spoon and splashed all over myself and I was like what you, you kept up such a strong front and and though you were going through all that how did you keep how did you do that like cause you can't not think about it like it's gonna right. be right in front of your face but yeah. then I saw you every day and I talked to you and we joked and we laughed and we bitched and complained about our job and I just never knew. Yeah. So were you just like tearing up inside? Did you feel like two people? I did. Um, I think, I think you, I think you pretty much uh, hit the, hit the nail on the head because at one point I had to make a decision to compartmentalize and kind of separate what I was going through personally with my professional world, right? Yeah. At work. So, yeah, in, in a sense, I had to become, you know, two different people. The apple drew that comes to work with a smile. And then, you know, I leave work and then I go and pick up my baggage and yeah. <laughs> and deal with that. Um, and, I, you know, I would even go as far as to say that, you know, the compartmentalization was my therapy in a sense because it was during the time when... I was suffering from some, I would I would say I was suffering from depression. Of um, course. During that time. And so that kind of connects to, you know, the awareness of that and having a voice and being able to talk to people about it and just trying to navigate through that because creating that, those two compartments, it's like, oh, well, I'm going through this and it would be awesome to like have 
support team at work, but uh, I don't really want people to be all up in my business. But then, you know, right, exactly. Of course, you talk about it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then I have my support team back in Chicago, but that's, you know, 2,000 miles away. So I was always being torn between, you know, Shall I go to, is this the day I'm going to go and tell Shantae yeah. for that support? But The answer was no. The answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think it all worked out, and I think that I learned a lot about myself through that process. And, you know, mental health is something that I never thought I would suffer from. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially in the black community, I feel like we're yeah. always going to be talking about the black Pray community. Away. <laughs> you know, the black community doesn't um, really talk about it as, as much as they should. It's kind of shunned upon. Um, which is wild. Which is why I'm so glad that I can have a platform to talk about it. Of course. Because um, I think at some point I've probably been one of those people who didn't believe in going to therapy and didn't believe in, you know chemical imbalances in your yeah. brain that can cause different be- behaviors. Mm-hmm. I thought it was all whatever, whatever. They're just trying to make money. Well, because I don't know about your household, <laughs> but a lot of, like, my household is like, our business is our business. Right. You don't go running and tell nothing you about what church, you got in the house. You pray about it. If Jesus right. can't fix it, it can't be fixed. Then it's done. Then it's done. And yeah. then you go to sleep and you go to work yep. and then that's it. Nobody mm-hmm. knows anything. But exactly. that's, as an adult, knowing that now that's wild. <laughs> Because it, sometimes it just feels good to be validated on your feelings. Or be like, hey, you feel this way because 20 plus years ago in elementary school, you fell down and nobody picked you up and you're still mad about that. Right. You can't pray that away. That's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. That's yeah. so wild. Right, that was going to be my next question is, is if you sought out therapy, like professional help. I did. I did. Um, there, there was one person that I did talk to at work. And that person was the person that told me to consider therapy. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, I think I think TV does a bad job of representing therapy. Representing everything. <laughs> <laughs> but especially TV therapy. Especially therapy because, you know, you see a show or a movie and you have the therapist. You have, I don't know why, it's always a leather lounger. Right. I've never been on a leather couch in my therapy. <laughs> it's always... <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert, they're not all leather couches <laughs> for those listening. Uh, but yeah, they. I had this impression of therapy that was completely wrong. And, you know, but the, the good thing about the person that I confided in with, um, they pretty much told me that, you know, all of that's BS and told me the truth about therapy, which is mm-hmm. really, you know, don't go in thinking, oh, the therapist is just going to fix your life. Right. It's really the opportunity to have a conversation that you probably never would have. Mm-hmm. And in a way for you to kind of realize what needs to be done. You know, they are going to ask the right questions to make you figure it out yourself. They're yeah. not going to play doctor and fix you. Right. right. Um, so I, I think that was good. And I, I think that one of the most important things she um, told me, my, my, my friend that told me about therapy was that whether you're going to move forward with your situation or not is good to go and have that dialogue. It's good to at least express how you feel. Mm-hmm. So then there's nothing like left. 
you know, left yeah. to chance, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's good just to go to figure out, okay, how do we communicate better? How do we be the best parents we can be? How can we co-parent? Um, if there's any more love left in a relationship, well, how can we take that and move it forward? How can we get married? How can we get to that finish line? Mm-hmm. Whatever that finish line is, how do we get there? Right. So I'm so glad that I did it. And, you know, thanks to my job, I was able to, you know, get some free sessions. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. But yeah, it, it, it was really good to really get me to the the level I needed to go to, to really move forward. That's awesome. Yeah. So you guys, black people, especially go to therapy. It's not scary. <laughs> it's literally just a conversation and you'll get your buttons will get pushed. But once you get past your your, um, I don't know, like your attitude problem about therapy, it's really good and it makes you feel good. And just getting answers to questions you didn't know you had was great. So and do your research and find ways to get the hook up. Yeah. Because I know black people be like, well, I ain't got the money. I ain't. But if you have money for shoes. <laughs> right. You got Jordans, you can go to, you can go to therapy. But anyway, just a disclaimer. So after having your daughter, your beautiful bouncing baby girl, um, how did your pre-baby mindset change and how did you get yourself mentally ready to become a father? Oh, it's... So you knew it was coming all this time. Now she's here. Now you gotta, like, be a father. How did that happen? It's literally an instantaneous switch that goes on. Yeah. And I'm a strong believer in everything that God creates, like this purpose, there's the way that we are wired, like there's certain things that trigger certain things. And mm-hmm. I think uh, before you have a baby, I think we all tend to have like a baby mentality of everything is about me. Yeah. But as soon as you create life and hold it and you're looking at it, a switch happens. That's and it's so like, cute. oh, snaps. Like, there's a little person I got to take care of mm-hmm. that I created with my DNA. And then not, and then now you have a God complex. So now you go from, <laughs> <laughs> now you go from like a, a selfish, spoiled baby brat thinking about yourself. How can you make yourself better all the time mm-hmm. to creating this life form that you want to be great, that you're responsible for, that every single thing that they do and learn comes from you. Mm-hmm. And they and you are one hundred percent necessary for their sur- survival. Yeah. Now you're a god. Now you're a goddess. Okay, Kanye. <laughs> so I I think it, it forces one to change. Mm-hmm. I think it should. So it's not I a think, decision. I think there's an ins- there's an instinct in us that forces change and it may not happen right away Mm -hmm. but i think at some point that's flip does get switched where it's like oh snaps i'm a parent i'm powerful this person can grow up and be whatever they want and it's based on what i'm feeding them right and that type of responsibility is crazy to think about that you literally have to watch everything you say, everything you do, yeah. because they're listening and they're yes. looking and they're going to mimic you yeah. and that shit's going to stick. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they're not going to forget. I still remember stuff that my mother used to tell me and my grandparents used to tell me and I'm just like, I'm never going to forget that. Yeah. And this is why I'm the way that I am now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's real. That's huge responsibility. That's real. For you. 
Not me. I don't have babies. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Yeah. That's wild. And she looks just like you, too. She does. She actually looks just like me when I was a baby. Isn't that crazy? I'm not sure of how much she looks like me, like adult Drew, but she no, looks but identical baby to baby Drew. That's wild. So... Um, what are some sacrifices? Because obviously you've made several, but what are some noticeable sacrifices that you've made after becoming a father? Once you become a parent, you you don't have any days off. It's a full-time job. So if you work a full-time job, now you have two full-time jobs. Right. So those days where... You can literally get off work or maybe it's your day off from work and you just want no human contact. You just shut yourself in. Every day for me. Maybe like you got a load of laundry. You don't want to do it. Never. You want to binge, you know, on Netflix. The office. You know, you want to crack open a gallon of ice cream and just like bum it out. (laughs) (laughs) Like those days are over. Really? Those days are over. Yeah. That sounds so <laughs> devastating because it's literally the only thing I like to do. Right. Yeah. But you have to. Yeah. Yeah, those days where I just want to do nothing and just have a Drew day. Yeah, those days are over. How does that make you feel? <laughs> like, how does that make you feel knowing that, like, you have friends that don't have that responsibility? Like, I can sit here and knowing that I don't have to go watch a child. It makes me feel like I really took it for granted yeah when i was single no babies it's like wow i didn't do enough in life really like i should have i should have a grammy by now yeah yeah Aww. <laughs> but no babies are not dream killers in fact it's actually the opposite so another fact i would say it's a fact babies bring blessings how so they do. Because so. what, how? They were talking <laughs> to Jesus? They do. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they'd be in a womb like, Jesus, I'm going to need my parents to be millionaires. Um, so, and this is something that I was told from my older sister, my parents, that, you know, when a baby comes, God is going to take care of that baby. How is God going to take care of that baby? God is going to take care of that baby through the parents. Through the village, right? Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that literally day one. This amount of support that I get, the help that I get, the opportunities that I get, I strongly believe, and you know, I'm very, you know, faith driven. I strongly believe that a lot of the opportunities I've gotten since she's been here or since she has been on the way was because God takes care of babies. Yeah. Always. That's cool. So that's great. So I don't want to get religious on this podcast. This is not what it is. So let's put that over there. But what's, <laughs> an, what's another sacrifice? Like, so you don't have time to yourself anymore. Right. What else? What else do you see yourself? Oh, money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you like, if you like uh, money, you're not going to like a baby. Do you, on <laughs> average, how much a week do you think you spend on your baby? Oh, man. I don't know. That much? Probably, I would say, it depends, right? It depends on on the year. Like, the, like obviously, tell me, yeah, around holidays, probably a little bit more. How much did you spend on baby for Christmas? Oh, man, too much. 
Too much. More than I spend on myself. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I would say probably, I don't know how much by week, but definitely in the hundreds per month, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she's, is she still in diapers as a two-year-old? She is... Not in diapers. She wears underwear, but she does. Oh, the training panties. She she does the pull-ups. Oh, okay. But we're really pushing just regular panties. Yeah, because then you can just wash them. Because yes, diapers are expensive. So expensive. Well, everything is expensive when it comes. But to babies. diapers, though, I baby showers are like oh, you know, we need diapers. They're yeah. like thirty-six dollars for like twelve yeah. little diaper, and that's like a whole day. That's ridiculous. And then you have to get, what, like the cream stuff so they don't rash up, right? So wipes. Yeah, wipes, because wipes. you have to wipe their ass and yeah. vaginas and yeah. penises. Gross. But yeah, yeah, wipes probably go the fastest. Ew, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, wipes and diapers and you know, toiletries. and. So you miss that money. Yeah, so a lot. <laughs> a lot of money. Here's a, here's a question. So there's always been like, oh, if I was a parent, I would never beat my child. Or if I was a parent, they're definitely getting an ass whooping. You, there, I always hear those conversations. And for me, if I were a parent, I feel like that I would definitely give spankings to an extent. Like I wouldn't beat the shit out of them until they get welts. But how? what is it like disciplining your own real baby? Because you can always talk about it hypothetically, but when it comes down to it, if she even gets in trouble, which I'm sure she does, she's too... What is it like disciplining them, and how do you keep yourself calm so you don't go overboard? Because, of course, you get irritated because you don't have time to yourself anymore, you say. So you're already irritated, and you don't want to take that frustration out on the baby. So how do you do that? It's hard. Do you have to, like, count it's hard. to five before you can talk <laughs> to the baby? It, it, is, it is hard because, yeah, like, well, it's levels to it, right? So... Mm-hmm. You have, you know, an infant, you have a baby, you have a toddler, you have a kid, adolescence, teen, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. right? So depending on the stage that they're at, you'll probably have more tolerance. Okay. Depending on the stage. So yeah. if she's crapping her pants at six months versus her doing it now that she's two and a half, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like, I'm going to let it slide while she's an infant, but... Right. Now that she's like potty trained, I would have to like show that this is not what you do. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think discipline should be, I think it should be verbal at first. But I think an actual spanking is necessary when it's a life or death situation. I don't think life you should. Death. I don't think you should get a whooping for everything. Well, no. I think that nowadays in the the tech world, right? Mm-hmm. The best punishment is give me your phone, give me your iPad, yeah. no internet. Even as like that's, a two-year-old. Right. That, that, that'll that teach you a lesson more than, you know, spank, spank, spank. Mm-hmm. But if it, like, say if she, I don't know, uh, got too close to the stove or deliberately did something that she knows that she's not supposed to do, and it's like threatening her life, and I really need you to not do that again. Right. Yeah, you. I'm gonna spank that booty. Yeah. Are you experiencing the terrible twos with her? I know she's only been two oh, for no. a couple months. Oh no, child, no. no she <laughs> know better than that. Well, that's good. The good thing about her is that she is 
She's a boss baby. Okay, boss baby. Boss baby, just What's like that on the a t-shirt. <laughs> just like the movie. Yeah, she's like she's like a little old lady. She's a grown up. <laughs> so she doesn't. She doesn't throw tantrums. She doesn't fall out. She might whine a little bit, but as soon as I give her the look, you know, every parent got that look. Mm-hmm. She straightened up. <laughs> Good. Put a little bass in my voice. She <laughs> she straightened right on out. So I don't I don't have that problem. Good. That means she's gonna be respectful and oh yes, understand yes. what authority is versus yes. what her little friends are. Right. That's great. Cool. So, what are some things that you wish you could have known about child rearing? That let me forget this question. That was hard to find out. So, what are some things that you could have known about child rearing before? now and it was you found out about it the hard way like I oh man would, I wish somebody would have told me that but no one ever talks about it kind of stuff I wish someone would have said hey when your baby gets sick you don't have to always go to the ER for every little just because they coughed <laughs> you know right. what I mean like yeah. um, I, I think new parents are overly cautious when it comes to the baby Mm -hmm. and they make probably more unnecessary (laughs) trips to the er than they need to um rightfully so right because you know you never know and you don't want to mess better safe than sorry right you don't want to you know especially in this day and age exactly people giving vaccines and things like that you just never know you just never know but i i wish that i would have known how expensive er visits are yeah, child, you never been to the <laughs> ER. Well, I've never <laughs> been to the ER as an adult and oh. had to pay. Oh, ugh, I have. Right. Ugh, <laughs> On my own insurance, I've never been to the ER. But yeah, that, I, I learned the hard way of having a, a hefty, a, a couple of uh, hefty ER bills that um, weren't necessary. Um, it wasn't life life or death. It was like, oh. It was like, oh, she's fine. Right. Here's like when we should have... When we should have just scheduled, you know, just a normal, you know, the pediatrician appointment, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that week. Yeah. But, you know, new parents, they, they, they learn. And like I said, it's always good to be, you know, safe than sorry. True story. So you are a composer. I am. Aside from being a father, you make music. Can you explain the difference between, like, what composing is versus, like, uh, I think produce because it's not the same thing, right? Composing and producing is different. They they they're different, but they can be the same person, right? So right. a composer can also be a producer. I would say my definition of a composer would be someone who is literally creating the notes on the sheet of paper. Okay, that's literally uh, making the music on the instrument you know, note by note. Whereas a producer doesn't have to necessarily be the composer, right? So Mm -hmm. they can be the same person, but they could be two different people. The producer could just be the person in the studio, um, maybe like coaching the, uh, the artist or, you know, they have a lot of creative input in how the sound, the, the song is mixed or anything like that. Um, production wise, but, I would say the distinction would be uh, the composer. Uh, well, it's kind of like a, a writer, right? Mm-hmm. So the composer would be, you know, the writer. The producer, you know, 
might be the director. Yeah. If we're creating a parallel between, you know, music and film, uh, composer, writer, producer, director. Yeah. So why music, Drew? Music, music. I've been into music for a while since I would say... I want to say around five or six, I remember my older sister having one of those uh, Casio pianos. Yeah. So she got that for Christmas, and I remember my dad and my older sister, uh, like, teaching me, like, basic chords uh, that they learned from, well, I don't know how they learned it, uh, probably, like, an instructional video that probably came with the Casio yeah. piano. Um, like set tape. Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I learned like the, the basic chords and then third grade, I actually started taking classes in elementary school from third grade to eighth grade. And then after, uh, for piano. So I'm classically trained for piano. So after eighth grade, going into high school, I wasn't taking classes anymore, but I felt the need to do something different. I got tired of playing other people's music. Yeah. So when I was 15, I decided to try to compose my own song. Yeah. How'd that and go? I've never done it before. It was great. I, it took me like three days uh, to compose it. And it was, it, I was very impressed by myself. It was, yeah. it was really actually really good. I taught it to my younger sister my sister that's two years younger than me uh, at the time. So I was 16 at the time, and she was 14, so I think she was in eighth grade. And she actually played it for her recital, and it was played among, you know, the great composers. So, you know, other kids were playing, you know, Bach and Beethoven and Mozart, and here's my sister playing this beautiful piece by... DSQ, right? right. <laughs> so it was uh, it was great. I actually took off school that day, and I went, and I remember being in the balcony and watching her play and just looking at her hands, and Aww. her hands were, like, shaking because she was so nervous. She wanted to play it perfectly, and she played it beautifully. And What a great way to honor somebody. Yeah, it was it was great. And actually, yeah, so I, I went to that school, too, so the, you know, the teachers, they all knew me, so yeah. they were like... Oh, and then, ah, uh, so she's going to play this piece that was actually composed by, you know, a, a, a previous student, student, a former student. And so yeah, it was great. I got a standing ovation, and it, it was you did that or moment. She did. I'm sorry? You did or she did? Well, I got, we both got a standing <laughs> ovation, right? Because <laughs> it was a collaboration. Yeah, so I made the music and she she performed it. But uh, it, was, it was great. It, it was that moment when I realized, hey, I can do this. This is something that I want to do. This is now my new passion. So nice. it, was a, it, was a, it was a great moment. So that's how I got into music. What's your style? I know you say you're classically trained on the piano, but what is your style that makes it the Drew sound, the DSQ sound? I would say my biggest influences are Timbaland, the Neptunes, Dr. Dre. So I kind of have like a, if I had to describe my style, it's like an electronic, hip hop, R&B type feel. Okay. 
So I think I have like my own unique sound. And then recently I started learning and self-teaching myself how to get better at sampling. So I kind of have like my Kanye yeah. influence a little bit and being from Chicago. So oh, that's say, right. He is from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. You guys are practically brothers. <laughs> so how do you balance a full-time job, a baby, and continue working on music? Because like you said, you have a full-time, full-time job, and then having a baby is a full-time job, and then you moved out here to pursue a music career. So how are you doing with doing all of that at the same time, if you can do all of it at the same time? It's, it's challenging. I would say balance is my number one challenge. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of that time, you probably have to sleep. At least five. And eat. And, For me, it's And nine. use the bathroom. <laughs> Get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's only so much one can truly do in a day and raise a family. But I think the good thing about making music today is that literally you can have an iPad, a phone, a laptop. You can be anywhere. You don't need to travel to a studio to get stuff done. So there's been times where I've had projects and, you know, I got my baby and, you know, I'm literally, (laughs) I'm literally like making music and like, you know, bouncing her on my leg. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, you you find the balance. I I think at the end of the day, it's a a choice. You know, you're either going to choose, you're going to wake up and choose to be creative or you're not. Mm-hmm. You're going to make yourself get up and go to the gym, or you're not. So it's really a decision at the end of the day. Yeah. Is it a hard decision for you? Like, is there are there days where it's like, no, 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 I can't, and you won't. And when you don't do it, does that, do you, since you're like a perfectionist, a control freak, does it upset you a lot when you don't touch the piano keys when you aren't making music? It, it, it doesn't upset me. I think, um, I, I remember, and I can't even think of the name, but I remember watching this TED Talk that talked about how creative people have this expectation to continue to create mm-hmm. and continue to make good work and maybe make better work than you did before. And that pressure to do well that pressure to continue to perform and create is a lot of pressure and it often leads creative people to depression or Mm -hmm. some type of um depressive state because they have this expectation of of greatness all the time and so i remember in the ted talk uh the professor the professor or doctor she she mentioned how one way to look at it is if whenever you're being creative, there's like a, a, a creative energy or some type of um, entity that possesses you that's actually doing the creativity. Yeah. Because if we put too much responsibility on the artist, it makes them feel like, oh, well, my music that won a Grammy last year you know, is on this high level. And if my next song or next album doesn't win, it's like feeling that pressure of performing 
constantly and getting better, it's like it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've kind of experienced that a little bit. But at the same time, for me, like if I'm having a dry spell, I embrace it. Sometimes I think it's good to take a vacation from creativity. Oh, for like sure. for me, I haven't made something in over a year and it doesn't bother me. And the reason why it doesn't bother me is because I'm always creating. I'm always thinking about it. It's mm-hmm. in my head. When I'm listening to music, I can hear a song and be like, oh, I would do it like this. Mm-hmm. Or I would hear maybe like an old song like, oh, I would sample that. Yeah. So I pull out my phone and I either bookmark, bookmark it or I actually I actually have this uh, playlist <laughs> called S2S, Songs to Sample. Yeah. So if I hear something like through my Apple Music, mm-hmm. I would just save it to that playlist. So even though I'm not actively, you know, sitting at my lab and creating. Yeah, like you physically are doing something. Right. I'm always in the mentality of it. I can even like open up the program in my head and think about how I'm tweaking the music. So yeah. I think since I'm in that creative mindset, mm-hmm. for me to like physically jump back in it, it wouldn't even be a problem. Well, that's good. So know. it's like a vacation, but not really a vacation because yeah. I'm mentally, I'm, I'm always there. Right. Just because you're not seeing me doing it doesn't right. mean it's not being done. Exactly. That's awesome because that's how I feel sometimes too because I know like I said earlier, I love to binge watch TV, but like, although I'm watching a lot of TV, but I'm learning Mm -hmm. and I'm researching it really to see like what the demographic is, is onto you right now. Like what's working and why is this getting so many plays and why does it have like a spot on Netflix for years and years and years? So that's always nice. So, um, do you teach your baby how to play the piano? Can she, can she do that yet? Not yet. No? No Eventually. Michael Jackson coming out of her yet? <laughs> Eventually. Uh, she, she's a dancer, so that's her. She is a dancer. That's her do, passion. Do, 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 so do. We'll, we'll probably introduce music, you know, later on. But right now, we're going strong on, on the ballet and the tap. and. So she's she tapping? Was, yeah, she's doing tap now. I didn't know she yeah. was tapping. You guys, yeah. I used to be a ballerina and a tap dancer. <laughs> And I was pretty great at it. I didn't like my teacher. Um, she had an attitude with me because I was perfect. Um, <laughs> some people are so jealous of seven-year-olds. It's ridiculous. But I'm so happy that your baby is doing things. And what makes you choose what to put her in? Like, why dance instead of, like, soccer? Like, why dance instead of, like, swimming? Or why dance instead of, like, mathletes if they have that for two-year-olds? <laughs> mathletes. Yeah, like, what made you decide? Or did you just go, oh, she's a girl. She has to be in dance. So my niece does dance. And so this one day when I when I took her to my niece's class just to kind of watch her, I noticed how engaged she was. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, yo, there's no way like a little uh, 18-month would be interested in something so so deeply, right? Yeah. So she's looking at it like, yo, I'm I'm trying to do that. Yeah. She's probably like, I do that better. <laughs> yeah, she's looking through the window like, yo, I don't care about nothing that's going on around me. Mm-hmm. I'm locked in and I want to do that. She had that look in her eye. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we got to sign her up when she's old enough. So when we signed her up, it was like letting a bird fly. Mm-hmm. It was it was incredible. She was kicking butt day one. Yeah, she's adorable. Yeah. Because like it's cuz you create the music for her to dance to. So exactly. it's cute how that is like a thing that you guys will be able to share yeah. when she becomes of age to 
You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. she's two right now, so she's right. just like dancing. But once you be actually is under, be able to understand what like a beat is and like to stay on a rhythm, you'll be able to play that for her. And wouldn't it be so cute if you played like her wedding song, <laughs> and she's like dancing and like, oh, I was so excited for y'all. Yeah, that's that, that'd be dope. Actually, she has. I did uh, compose a song for her. It's called "She Is My Love." It's not published yet. Is it her lullaby? It's her lullaby. It's her. Oh yeah, you saw you. It's really sweet. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, I think it's. I think it's dope. And maybe like one day, like she'll do a solo and she'll like, you know, TBT right, (laughs) throwback and uh, play her lullaby and maybe dance to it. Mm -hmm. That'd be that'd be like the next level. So like earlier we talked about, you know, my sister playing my my music for the first time, and I had that moment. But for Skylar to grow up, be a, you know, a ballerina mm-hmm. and choose that song to do a song. The heart. The Denzel tear and glory <laughs> going down my cheek. So, yeah, oh. that, that would, that, man, I don't know how I would feel about that. That would, that would mean more to me than any award, any accolade for my baby to grow up be a grown woman and choose her lullaby that I composed for her when she was one Mm -hmm. and do a solo. Yeah. Oh, man. That would be great. That makes me feel envious in a way because I didn't grow up with a father. And to see how much love you have for your baby girl, I'm just like, man, I feel like I missed out on so much because you love your daughter so much and I'm so happy that you do and I'm so happy that you aren't a statistic who left and who chose not to be in your daughter's life. And so that's exact, That's really why I wanted to bring you on, because I wanted to hear, just to soothe my own childhood trauma, just to hear like a father talk about how much he loves his daughter and how much he wants to be in a daughter's life. Because I feel like that just doesn't happen enough in the black community. This is true. And it's because whenever I'm like, oh, I think when I like met you, I'm like, oh, you have both your parents? Weird. I th- yeah. And I was like, why is that weird? Because when I talk right. to like a a Caucasian person, I'm not surprised at all. I'm like, oh, uh, of course you have your parents. That's like what white people do. So to see that you're still in your daughter's life is just, it's so warm and it's so welcoming. I'm just so jealous of that little girl, <laughs> but so happy for her at the same time. So what kind of advice can you give fathers, young fathers, because you're, you're in your 20s still, about fatherhood? And what can you tell people who are looking at you as a black man, like, oh, you have, like, you know your daughter. You guys have a relationship. What kind of advice can you give those men so they can be there for their kids? If you have any at all. I know that's a, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, there, there's a lot I can say. What I think is a key point is really just kind of realizing that when it's all said and done, once you decide to do the most godly thing, uh, which is creating life, right? Mm-hmm. After that, it's not really about you anymore. And I think the struggle that a lot of people have, and it's something that I still struggle with, right? Because, you know, I'm human, and sometimes I wake up and I want my whole day to be about me. Of course. But it can't. And I, I think if you remove yourself and you truly think about the best interests of 
your situation and your child, I think it makes the decision making easier to remove yourself. So I think that's the first step uh, one needs to do. I think, uh, secondly, we, you know, we talked about mental health. I think talking to someone and, you know, therapy can be expensive. And if you can't, honestly, if you, if you can't have it in a traditional sense, then maybe you just need a person just to talk to, right? Yeah. Maybe a person that's not so close to you, someone who is you know, non-biased, someone who you can just vent to. I think, you know, we keep so much inside of us sometimes and we, you know, we might lash out or we may not be the the best versions of ourselves because we have so much buildup Mm -hmm. and we just need to kind of just vent, ventilate. Yeah. And I would say uh, another uh, pro tip for, for, for the daddies out there, I think that, um, I think what we should also do community-wise is be surrogates for for others too, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, my dad didn't necessarily have his biological dad in his life, but he learned how to be a good dad from surrogate dads. Mm-hmm. In his community, right? right? So there were men that taught him how to be a man. And I think that as a community, we need to be surrogate fathers for the community, right? So right. everyone may not have that biological, but I think that we all can step up and be the best versions of ourselves and, you know, be that father figure for, you know, a, a niece, a nephew, or even a neighbor, right? right. So really um, connecting with your community, connecting with your village is a key point because I don't care who you are, you're going to need some type of like support system when it comes to raising a family. Everyone needs a village. And embracing that and creating a healthy environment uh, culturally for the village is is vital. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I'm at without my village. That's so great. So let's wrap it up a little bit. So you're daddy and you said that you don't have days off and you, you can pose in your head now. (laughs) Um, I am a telepathic musician. Right. What is something that you do just for Drew? Because you have to have some time for yourself, right? So what is it that you do just for Drew so that you can remember who you are as a person, not necessarily a father or a musician or a, a worker at, at, at said place? Do you have something? For me, wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> Look at you. Okay, I do, Oprah. I do good jobs, you know. I would say, uh, well, for me... The, the, the core of my values is, is family. So anything family-related to me is, I would con- honestly, I would consider that a day off, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm in a situation where I got uh, Sky and I got uh, my niece and maybe my sister and we're all just kind of 
hanging out in LA. Like to me, that's the day off. Uh, I consider family things to be a part of me. Yeah. So if I'm not at work, if I'm not doing music, family stuff is a way that Drew can do something for him because I'm a, I'm a family guy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being a family <laughs> guy, but I just didn't know if it was just like, oh, I'm going to sneak into the closet and eat a Snickers and that, that's your <laughs> time. I would say, oh, oh, well, I do have those days. I have those days where I just need to sit on the couch and watch some recommended YouTube videos, yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, binge watch a show or something like that or, you know, play play Switch real quick. Uh, but to me, those are quick fixes. And I, I, I just, I'm really passionate about, you know, family time, so... So. That's so great. And again, <laughs> you've made me jealous of this little girl. Because you're so family-oriented, and that's mm-hmm. just something that you don't see that often. This is true. And just to hear that that is something that actually exists, and it's not just something from Full House or The Family Matters or something, that it actually is a real person, and you're sitting across from me, that's just so great, and it just gives me hope for the future. Because I know since you love this girl so much and you are and you love your family so much, this girl's going to grow up in such a good family. She's going to be a wholesome little girl. She's going to make her mistakes, and you're going to have to prepare yourself for that. And there's going to be some boy or some girl that's going to break that little girl's heart. But she, she'll she have you to be like, Dad, I need a hug. And you'll be like, sure, baby. <laughs> and it's going to be great. And I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to see the growth because I'm going to stick around because I want to see all the pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah, you all, will. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> So, Drew, where can people listen to your music? So, you can listen to my music. I, I do have a website. It's dsqproductions.com. Say that a little slower. <laughs> so, it's dsqproductions.com. Okay. Just in case somebody was typing. <laughs> I do also have a SoundCloud. Oh, you do? I do have a SoundCloud. Uh, the The website is still being worked on as far as content so uh to be determined for that as far as social media the best way to get to me underscore just dot drew and that's d-r-u underscore so that's my instagram which is what i use mostly i plan to return to twitter at some point but Twitter's trash. Twitter, <laughs> it can be anything. <laughs> I, it's to the point where I don't even know if I should open my Twitter in public because I don't know what's gonna be on there. I still have an account, but it's like inactive. I haven't logged into it. But I'm pretty sure, like, when I do decide to get back on it, I'm probably gonna have to like delete. Yeah, <laughs> a lot Just of stuff. Wash it right because it was during the time when like Twitter was new and. It was before people were, were getting in trouble for what they were saying. Yeah. It was too new to get in trouble. Right. They they weren't quoting people on the news from right. their tweets. It's like, why is there a screenshot <laughs> on CNN of someone's tweet? Like, right. what's happening? Yeah. Oh, Well, thank you so much for coming through the studio. I was really excited about this Thank episode. you for having me. Uh, you made me realize what I've missed, and now I have to go cry. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can come back for season two, and we can chop it up some more. And maybe cover 
other grounds. Of course, because you're a truth seeker, and I have no idea what that is. But I definitely do want you to come back on and talk about that because it just sounds so interesting to me. Yes, but you guys, yes, yes. if you want to hear more about that, you're gonna to have to stick around and keep listening to the Hey Shantae podcast for a season two that will be subscribe, coming. Subscribe, subscribe. You guys, that wraps up today's episode. If you want to follow the Hey Shantae podcast on social media, it is Hey Shantae Pod. If you want to follow me, the hostess, uh, I'm Shantae Chanel. Two ends in Chanel. Don't ask why. On all social media at the same time. Again, I want you guys to um, just think about therapy. Just give it a thought. It's really not scary. Um, it's actually really good. Sometimes you just need to vent to let out your emotions and not hear an answer. And some and therapy is definitely a safe place. Or you can just find that person to do that for you. But I definitely am an advocate for therapy, and I just really appreciate you bringing that up as a as a black man because it's kind of like a omen or whatever in the black community so again thank you all right guys that's enough for me bye